CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by Bitstamp and the Galaxy Brains Podcast. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Hash. It's the holidays, so we hope you are rested and enjoying time with your family and us, of course. I'm Jensen Asio. On today's show, we got Will Foxley, Wendio, and a special holiday guest, Sam Kessler. Hey, guys. Hello. Good morning. Hey. Good happy, afternoon. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. All right. We are taking a break from all of the joy and merry experiences to talk about Sam Bankman Freed. It is not over yet. So Alameda Research CEO Caroline Ellison told a judge that she agreed with SBF in providing materially misleading financial statements to Alameda's lenders. This is the opposite of what Sam Bankman Freed had been saying in his PR tour before he was arrested and then extradited to the U.S., and other reports are saying now that Sam also borrowed from Alameda to buy Robinhood shares. Will, I'm going to kick this one off to you. The year is ending and we are just getting more and more information that is damning against SPF. That's right. And I was really enjoying that holiday break. I feel like I was done with the FTX story. I was ready to pass on to 2023 and not remember Sam at all. But back in the headlines again, so we got to talk about him a little bit more. And there's more information, of course. This comes after he was arrested, and then the uh, indictments against him were unsealed in court after he posted that $250 million bail, or at least a portion of it. Uh, that's a whole other story that we don't need to go into at this moment. But we do have some more records that are unsealed at this moment, and they show that, yes, Sam did know about this. Sam knew about all this, and that the executives at Alameda and FTX were doing this at his behest, right? So if we go back to his apology tour, which started in the early November, and went for the entirety of that month. I feel like he was on Twitter spaces every night. He kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We didn't have good corporate controls. I wasn't aware of these things. More or less implicitly saying that it was Caroline Ellison, Gary Wings, and other people's faults at the firm. Gary Wing, El uh, Caroline Ellison, and others actually went to the feds and they confessed, said they're guilty, confirmed that there was uh, malfeasance, negligence, and just downright fraud at FTX and Alameda. And now we have more records of that, which again, to your point, Jen, goes completely against what Sam has been saying for quite a while. And I know in the next story, we'll have some more 
information from Sam Kessler about how FTT tokens were involved in all of this as well. But before I do that, I can throw it up to Wendy for your take on the story. So I'm still hungover from all of the delicious Christmas food, especially the yams with the marshmallows. Those are my favorite. So if you guys um, would like to bring me some, I would really appreciate that. I'm just really tired of hearing about it. This is going to be a story that we're going to be talking about probably for the next year, the next 10 years in crypto. Um, I think that all parties involved did equally bad things. Um, I really think it's very interesting how these people can sit and say, oh my God, I'm so sorry I got caught. That's basically all that it is. Um, it's unfortunate what happened. And I don't think that this is going to be the last of what we're hearing. And the story is going to con- continue to keep changing. Again, these people, everybody involved has very, very powerful legal people helping them come up with the right things to say. I think Sam's kind of apology tour wasn't even an apology tour. It was just probably, I don't know, maybe he was laying the foundation to show that he's not mentally capable to have been the master behind all these things. I don't think that he was 100%. I think that there is other people, including his parents, that were also behind this. But at the same time, it's just a complete mess. And I think that it was all designed to get us our CBDC in coming. My opinion, not financial advice. Yeah, maybe if, if, yeah, if I could jump in really quick. First off, it's been a terrible month, two months almost, um, to be named Sam. Mm-hmm. It's like for my mom named Karen. Um, <laughs> hopefully this goes away soon. We're not talking about the bad Sam. But anyway, um, I think the, the apology tour thing is interesting um, because I don't think it's going to be over. Like, I, I don't know why we're talking about this. Like, it's something that happened before. I don't know why we have any expectation that he shuts up now that he's at home. We are going, I, I'm almost certain that we're going to see him say something publicly. He's going to go on a Twitter space. He's going to tweet something cryptic. He's at home. He's able to do those things. I don't think it's a good idea for him. It might go against certain terms. But he can actually speak. And there's you know, been some things that I've seen behind the scenes where he's started speaking out. And I think that it is incumbent upon journalists moving forward to frame or ask questions or maybe not engage in the way that they did um, in the run up to all of this. Because one of the weird you know, things that I noticed during this apology tour is there were a lot of people speaking at him or you know, wanting him to apologize, wanting to get that thing like we just saw from Caroline Ellison that we just mentioned where she's like, I knew it was wrong. Beyond that, there is nothing else to be gained from either reading into his statements past or future. Um, I, I think letting this process play out is going to be the key thing here because, you know, it's all it's all in court docs now. Go ahead, Will. No, I definitely agree with what Wendy said. We're going to be talking about this story for the next 10 years, just like Mount Gox continues on, right? People mm-hmm. are paying attention to it, at least somewhat in the space. That's going to continue for quite a while. Let's turn over to the FTT news as well, though, that we should definitely bring up. And that is that Sam Bankman-Fried was using the FTT token, which is FTX's native token for its platform, in order to purchase different assets, including Robinhood shares and Blockfolio. So two different large purchases that were actually headline-worthy uh, for FTX. And they showed a lot of strength in FTX's balance sheet when these purchases were made. But they're made in the native token of FTX itself, FTT, which since it trades on secondary exchanges and was vaguely tied to the revenue projections for FTX, had value and people were willing to accept it. I think Blockfolio accepted about 90% or more of the deal in FTT tokens. This is back in 2020. And it really was a big movement or moment, I should say, for FTX at the time because it showed they had some strength in order to buy a very common wallet provider for a lot of crypto users. And they got a lot of those customers and then for the Robinhood shares, they uh, were able to use those FTT tokens, take a loan out, and then purchase up those Robinhood shares 
and put it into emerging capital, which I believe is some sort of shell organization that uh, Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX was using to facilitate purchasing of different assets and holding of them. What does this all mean? Well, we're going to turn to Jen for that. But I, I think on the baseline, we know that FTT token was at the very least a fraudulent vehicle in order to purchase more assets from, uh, from basically from customers of FTX. Uh, Jen T, though. Yeah, I don't know if I could tell anyone what all of this means because we're just getting more and more information like by the day and it is becoming very intertwined. But I remember last week, Will, we said on this show that like those Robinhood shares are the only real thing left. And now we find out that the Robinhood shares have been tied up in all of this drama with the FTT token. And I just want to mention that um, in that transcript we mentioned in, at the beginning of the story, Caroline Ellison said she knew that they were uh, publishing fraudulent information in quarterly reports that, that laddered up to the value of the FTT token being propped up. And so this is just a, a complete mess. But I think we've uncovered every, every corner of the story. I think we've, we've talked about every single asset that's been involved in the FTX drama. So I have a good feeling about the rest of 2022 being a little more calm. Wendy? <laughs> I would just have a simple question. Why, are we, why is Sam T not being featured in any of these uh, mainstream media outlets? Like where, where is his involvement? Where is his accountability? I think Caroline Ellison was only, only the CEO of Alameda for like since um, August 24th or around that time. So it's very bizarre that he's not being included in all this stuff. And that's why I'm just keeping an open mind and not and looking for information from different sources because there's, there's got to be some other things. I don't think Mr. Sam was the mastermind behind it. Yeah, I mean, maybe one, one good thing that's come out of this entire FTT side of everything is that it has, I think, at least for me, um, and I imagine for some viewers, been a really good education for how some of this weird crypto accounting manifests and can be dangerous. So um, not to do any whataboutism here, but um, when we look at Binance, which has opaque financials, one of the reasons why people speculate that a firm like Binance or like many others won't be transparent is that even if they are, you know, collateralizing things behind the scenes, they're an exchange, meaning they say that things should be one-to-one -one back. Um, even if in that, just using an example and speculating here, if we were to find that their balance sheet was disproportionately BNB, their own token, that would be a cause for alarm because of the exact reasons like we saw with FTX. Again, the Binance thing is an example. We don't know that, but I'm just saying like, this is something that we should keep our eyes peeled for when we know that people have their own tokens, how they can be used to you know, facilitate fraud or other shadiness. Uh, Will, back to you. Well, that's enough SPF for the day. We gotta go to the next story, which in fact is actually more SPF. <laughs> Sam, take us to the Bahamas. <laughs> we're gonna talk about the reactions <laughs> to SPF going down. Surprise! Yeah, um, so this is a story, <laughs> this is a story um, about SPF, but it's also um, you know, a story about the story. So I don't know um, if any of you are on Twitter um, or subscribers to the New York Times, you might have seen this story. In the Bahamas, a lingering sympathy for Sam Bankman-Fried. Um, the tweet that got a lot of attention was, quote, this is from the New York Times. In the U.S., Sam Bankman-Fried is a persona non grata, but in interviews across the Bahamas, residents say that his crimes were hardly comparable to the gang violence of the island and express fears of economic fallout if crypto investors don't return. Among the, the quotes in this article that people have criticized because they thought it 
went easy on SPF. When I say people, um, obviously, I'm not talking about everybody, but everybody that I saw on Twitter. So one person um, who was interviewed by the Times in the Bahamas said, quote, unquote, about SPF. I think he had a good heart. And that same person called him, um, said, quote, he's Bahamian, as they say, an explanation for her sympathies. And it's a lot of stuff like that. Um, And the comparisons between SBF's crimes and the violence that goes on in the Bahamas, apparently, um, between gangs. And people were critical of this, both for going easy on Sam and also doing, um, again, the word whataboutism um, about Sam's crimes and other things that are being done. And Anyway, um, the interesting thing here that I think we can talk about very briefly is there's been a lot of criticism towards mainstream media, like Wendy hinted at, and their coverage of Sam, people saying the media is paid off, people saying that they're misinformed. Personally, I don't read this and think that um, the New York Times is paid off by Sam and is trying to run collateral on him. I don't understand how the mechanics of that would work in terms of the Times, but I'm curious to get all of your takes on how media be responsible when it comes to to covering this. I'll take it over from there and we'll figure out what's going on. I think that in the Bahamas, okay, so Bahamians didn't really have access to FTX. The story says that to invest in crypto in the Bahamas, there's like a lengthy process where you have to go through an application to apply to be able to invest in crypto. I think when you live in an area where many of your, or maybe not many, but at least one person you know, whether that be a family or a friend has been directly Uh, impacted by really violent crime, I think it's easy to see how this perspective can come out, right? Sam, much like he did in North America, painted himself as almost the savior. And the article says he gave to a lot of charities. and, And one of the entities that he donated to was the police force in the Bahamas. So when when you think about it in that sense, you know, Sam did a lot of donating. He was seen as this good person who had a lot of money on on this island that had a a lot of pockets of crime. I can understand why people might see it this way. They might see it as, oh, you know, his crimes didn't result in the death of anyone. And I lived in an area that was 10 kilometers away for part of my life from one of the most violent places on earth. And I went there to do a lot of reporting. And when I was reading the story, I thought about those people and I think that they might have the same reaction. There's a, when your friend circle or family has been directly impacted by violence that's resulted in death, I think that it's easy to see why this, this might come to light. And I think that the New York Times really did go out there and speak to a lot of people and they're reporting on what those people said. And so again, I don't, I don't know if the story can really say that they are in cahoots with SBF. Wendy, are you back? So, I, Jen, I really liked your explanation, and I can get behind that 100%. My biggest problem with mainstream media news is that they've posted so many different fluff pieces about SBF and the whole FTX thing, and that's where the problem lies. If they would have came out and kind of, you know, told the real story and then put this piece out and say, okay, this makes sense. I like this. I can understand with this. Also, too, the fact that he did donate, maybe he did help out some of the people over there. I can understand why. Um, these people don't necessarily care about all the fraud that he committed um, with FTX customer funds. So I understand that. But at the same time, I think that the media should have done a better job from the beginning. And again, as a content creator, the, sometimes the more controversial you are and the, more, the, the, the most horrible take that you have, it gets more clicks, it gets more interaction. And I think that's what mainstream media is kind of playing off right now. Will? Yeah, I'll take it from here before we go into the next break. I think there's been a lot of comments about mainstream media and how they've covered this. In fact, I feel like in some ways, mainstream media has gotten more barbs than Sam himself. 
just because they've been people have been frustrated with how the mainstream media has covered this whole debacle. But I, I do think this piece was noteworthy in the fact that they went on the ground and talked to some people, and this is what they uncovered. And you might not like it, but this is what they uncovered. And you have to expect that they did do some due diligence when they were talking to Bohemians themselves. And I do think like a great follow up piece in six months would be going back and talking to similar people and seeing what they think about uh, SBF in the wake of crypto leaving the island. Because that's more or less what's going to happen after this. Why would a crypto firm go back there and just like live in the shell, the crater hole really that is FTX? It's probably not going to occur. I think in like the, the after effects right now, people are like frustrated and wanting crypto to remain on the island. And that's probably why there's some like um, some feelings of not too much ill will towards SPF at the moment. But in six months, I think this changes pretty hard and fast against SPF and FTX. But Jen, I'll boot it over to you as we go into break. All right. We are going to take a short break. We're going to leave Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX there. We'll probably have more to say about them tomorrow. But on the other side of the break, Bitcoin miners have been feeling the cold. More on that when we get back. Times are tough, particularly for crypto. But Bitstamp's different. Bitstamp is the longest-running crypto exchange and among the most regulated in the world, which includes a bit license in New York and a payment institution license in Europe. And when it comes to your funds, with Bitstamp, your crypto belongs to you. All your fiat and crypto are kept 100% separated. It's why Crypto Compare ranked Bitstamp the number one crypto exchange, awarding them the highest possible AA rating. Learn more at bitstamp.net. Hey, Will Foxley here, co-host of The Hash. One thing we can take away from everything going on in crypto right now is that it's important to go deep and verify. Crypto Twitter is great, but 280 characters can only go so far. One podcast we love is Galaxy Brains. Here's the host, Alex Thorne, head of research at Galaxy Digital. Thanks, Will. For in-depth takes and probing analysis on topics, trends, and events across the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency ecosystem, check out Galaxy Brains, our weekly podcast. Find Galaxy Brains on your favorite podcast app and on galaxy.com forward slash research. Presented to you by one of the most trusted teams in the industry. Texas and talk about Bitcoin miners. As a disclosure, I do work for a Bitcoin mining company running media for them. This is a pretty big story in terms of the Bitcoin community because it shows what Bitcoiners have been working on for the past three or four years. And that is moving Bitcoin mining down to the state of Texas and taking advantage of very cheap energy that is flexible depending on how the weather turns out. When it's really cold or really hot, Bitcoin miners turn off. When it's really nice outside, Bitcoin miners turn back on. And it's supposed to be a great symbiotic relationship between Bitcoin miners and the energy grid. But we saw this last week during this huge winter storm that hit most of North America was that it played out pretty favorably. A lot of Bitcoin miners decided to turn off because the price of energy was higher than the minting price of Bitcoin. And so they just went idle. And then that energy went elsewhere to different parts of the grid, like hospitals or homes that needed that energy during this huge winter storm. Not all roses, though. There are some things to think about, including the security of the Bitcoin network itself, which dipped during this period, if you think about it, in terms of exahashes. So the Bitcoin network uses this thing called hash rate in order to move Bitcoins around the network. And it dipped by about 40% during the winter storm because a lot of these miners are in Texas and they turned off. And we saw that change network uh, transaction values because of it, or not transaction values, but hash rate rather. So pretty cool to see these metrics on chain is my big takeaway from it. Also interesting to see how 
this plan that Texas miners have had for quite a while come into fruition. And we're going to see this more and more as more people move into the United States to mine Bitcoin and take advantage of the cheap energy. I'm going to throw this up to Sam and get your take on it. Yeah, um, so I, I think it's fun um, when I come on the hash because this is when I'm confronted with with Bitcoin things as the the you know resident Ethereum and such reporter. Um, one of the things uh, I don't know if it's even related to this story, but that I've noticed, which has been interesting, has been and and I kind of wanted to get into this. I don't know if it, if it relates, but my little brother he was watching TikTok the other day and he saw um, a creator who was talking about how he bought all of these miners um, at the peak of the last bull market, like the Pico top, and now they're worthless and he's no longer mining. And we talked about how the hash rate has fallen. And I just wonder um, in, in the long term, whether it matters that a lot of these corporate mining outfits specific, like this is something that's, you know, followed the narrative of Bitcoin the entire time. And, you know, this narrative plays into to that, this whole um, Texas energy grid thing. But I, I wonder if as the price of Bitcoin has plummeted, um, the lack of individual miners, has that actually had a role on the security of the network, like when the hash rate falls, like you mentioned? Um, well, maybe this is a question for you or for somebody else here, but um, sorry for the, yeah, um, the, the non sequitur. Yeah, I can pick it up for sure. Yeah, even just to correct myself a little bit, it depends on how you think about network security for Bitcoin itself. So hash rate is a measurement of how many hashes are dedicated to it, towards the network by individual miners. And these miners do a few different jobs. Mostly they move around Bitcoin on behalf of other people. And there's also this notion that they provide security for the network. I mean, if you've heard Michael Saylor is a big Bitcoin proponent, he calls these like cyber hornets, right? There's like a wall of energy, a wall of cryptographic energies protecting the network. A lot of times that's these miners, right? And when we have a lot of miners go offline because of winter storms, well, some people would say that could be uh, difficult for the network or cause a problem for the network because you could have someone try to attack the network. In reality, however, like the the, the, the ideas behind Bitcoin and how it functions, it makes it pretty difficult to attack it at all using some sort of 51% scheme. And yes, there's a lot of buzzwords and definitely go read up on it more if you're interested in the story. But my takeaway from this is no, there's not too much of a concern about network security just because of a winter storm. What I think you're really seeing here is like Bitcoin and crypto in general actually becoming something that the everyday person is grappling with because it's now is baked into the energy system. It's baked into our energy grids in a way that years prior, nobody was really thinking about. We think about Bitcoin or crypto in our digital wallets or on our phones, but no one really thinks about how Bitcoin might affect the thermostat at home. And now it's actually becoming a reality because miners are moving into these cheap energy grids. Wendy, I'm going to throw the story over to you and get your take on it. I, as somebody that likes to trade Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining economics is always very fascinating towards me because it does impact price directly in my personal opinion. I think everybody should know the basics of Bitcoin mining. Uh, but this is actually something that I didn't think about because I'm a little bit, um, you know, I live in California, so we have really great weather here. It was like 70 degrees all weekend. So we didn't have to deal with any energy problems. So I'm curious to see how this is going to impact Bitcoin later on as far as the security goes and price-wise, et cetera. But to segue into my story, there was some NFT drama that was announced on Christmas. So Solana's top NFT project, D-Gods and Utes, are going to migrate chains. And they're going to be migrating over to or bridging over to Ethereum in quarter one of 2023. They still have some more announcements to make, they said. Um, also, too, they will be utilizing Matic Polygon. Full disclosure, I have um, Matic Polygon. 
I also have a Ute as well. But the big drama about this is, is Polygon reportedly paid $5 million to bridge Utes over. And when the team asked Solana for money, they said no. So the NFT community is super upset. It's a big dra- drama. I personally think that this is a smart move because we don't know what the future of Solana is. But at the same time, I would like to get Jen's takes here. Yeah, I read this story and I was like, wow, this is not good for Solana. So sales of D-Gods and Utes accounted for almost 70% of Solana NFT sales volume. That's according to Magic Eden. I know during the bull market, we talked about like Solana, could this be the Ethereum killer? Things are just faster there. Gas fees are low. And now here we are in the bear market. We see Solana uh, suffering a lot because of the contagion of FTX. And we see their two biggest projects, one looking to go over to Ethereum and the other to Polygon. I think that Polygon is really leveraging the state of the market right now. And just like every time we talk about NFTs, Polygon is wedged into that news. You know, Polygon was attached to the Reddit news. We have Starbucks on Polygon. And I think that, you know, all of these, I guess, incremental moves are setting them up for success in the next bull cycle. So... I don't know what's going to happen to Solana, but Will, what do you think? Okay, hot take on this before we end the show. I think this is the new bear market narrative for NFTs. They're going to keep swapping chains to the chain that has the best performing token or the token that holds its price the best in order to hold up its NFT floor. So Ethereum obviously has had a better bear market than Solana has. Solana has been dumping hard, especially since the FTX news, because the relationship between the Solana Foundation and FTX and Alameda. And I think a lot of teams are looking at uh, Solana, especially, and thinking, ooh, we can move to a different chain because we're going to sit with their narrative and not with Solana's narrative or other token Project X that's not doing as well. Polygon, Ethereum, some of these chains have been doing very well during the bear market. I think we're going to see more NFT projects move over to them because they want to stick with a stronger performing narrative. Sam, up to you, though, before we close out. Yeah, um, this uh, you mentioned one of the things that I was going to talk about, but maybe to switch gears a, a little bit... I, I think it is interesting that there's so much more appetite or at least um, it, people accepting of, um, I, I guess they're not companies, but projects moving their NFTs from one chain to another. This was kind of like anathema to the entire idea of an NFT when these things started really booming at the start. Then we started seeing things trickling off of Ethereum or onto Ethereum. And, you know, at first it was like kind of like, oh, this is like this NFT is impure because of the you know, lack of security of certain cross-chain bridge, bridging technologies, which have changed over, over time. But anyway, this is like, like you mentioned, there is like this evolving thing where these projects are moving to the chain that is the most lucrative for the project. But also, I think that it does kind of, in my opinion, at least show that the emperor has no clothes a little bit when you're able to move this asset from one chain to another and then not only retain value, but increase its value. I, I, I can't think of a good analogy, but it just seems weird that you can take these assets, move them and call them the same thing when that goes against the entire point of what an NFT was supposed to be in the first place. Sorry, that might be too meta or yeah, but anyway, weird to me. We love to hear it, Sam. All right. We are going to leave the show there. I missed you guys. So nice to see your faces again. We'll be back same time, same place tomorrow. Join us on Coindesk TV and the podcast network. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. 
Thanks for listening. 